You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, from my family to your family, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Now, over the course of the next two days, yesterday and today, We've got seven services and all of them are full, which begs the question as a pastor, where are all of you on a Sunday morning? (laughs) I love the pastor who stood out in front of the church as people were making their way to the Christmas Eve service. He was shaking their hands one by one until eventually he came across a man he hadn't seen in a long time. He pulled the man aside and he said to him, son, I need you in the Lord's army. The man said to him, I am in the Lord's army. The pastor said, then how come I only see you on Christmas and Easter? The man said, because I'm in the secret service, I guess. To be quite honest with you, I don't care why you're here today, I'm just glad you're here. And we have this tradition in my family, before we open any presents on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, we always read together the Christmas story. And I want to consider you today, my family, as we gather together to celebrate the birth of Christ, and as many will be open in presence today, I want to give you the true meaning of Christmas. I want to walk you through the Christmas story as found in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. If you're always wondering this question, how in the world did the birth of Jesus come about, Matthew is actually going to tell us. He begins with the genealogy of Jesus, telling of all of his ancestors, his lineage, if you will, because it was incredibly important to Jewish people. But now he begins in chapter 1, verse 18, to sort of launch into the gospel, if you will. Matthew, you know, is a Jewish person, and he is fully convinced that Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah. And he begins to give us two words in these opening verses. The first word is the word Messiah. It's actually a Hebrew word. Do you know what the Greek counterpart of Messiah is? We often think it's Jesus' last name. It is Christ. But it's not Joseph and Mary Christ and their son Jesus. Christ actually means Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that the prophets spoke about. And I want to remind you today, not only is the word Messiah important, but so is the word Jesus. Can I be honest with you, and this might ruin your Christmas for a moment, it's actually a very bad translation. It is a Latin phrase, Jesus is. The better name given for the Son of God is Yeshua or Joshua. Now, whenever you want to act real spiritually mature, just say Jesus' name as Yeshua. Whenever you hear the word Yeshua, don't you want to say, God bless you, but people didn't sneeze. The reality is, this is the Hebrew, this is the Greek word for Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Now, maybe one of the reasons that God is not answering your prayers is he's saying, listen, you don't say my son's name right. If you start saying my son's name right, then maybe I'll answer your prayers. But it's obviously we're not going to go through all of the scriptures and rename who Jesus was. We're certainly not going to give all of the songs a new title that we sing around Christmas time. But I want you to know if you're going to understand the birth of the Christ child, you are going to have to understand that his name was Yeshua. His name was Joshua. Now, who is Joshua? 
Well, Joshua is this warrior. Joshua is this king. Joshua is this general, the one who fought in great battles. You see, the children of Israel were not looking for another Moses. They weren't looking for a lawgiver. What they were looking for is somebody would come as a warrior and free them from their oppression. So Matthew goes on. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, any time before the first century that a woman was found to be pregnant outside of wedlock, law said that you were either to stone her or you were to burn her to death. It was a very different culture. Women in that day and age got married at a very early age. There was no such thing as adolescence. When they were 10 or 11 or 12, they would actually be betrothed and married to another man. By the time they were 13, 14, and 15, every single one of them would be married and they'd be given birth to children. If you were the age of 16 and you weren't married yet, something was likely wrong. And so now as the family of Mary and Joseph gather around, can't you imagine what the in-laws are saying? Hey, look at this woman that Joseph has chosen. The reality is it's very possible that she's not playing with a full deck because now she tells us she's actually pregnant, but she's never been with another man. Yeah, right. And beyond that now, she is claiming that somehow an angel has appeared to her. And Joseph himself has got to be wondering about his future wife, doesn't he? I mean, this is an incredibly crazy story that this woman is telling. And the scripture goes on, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind that he would divorce her quietly. Joseph is struggling with exactly what is going on. He knows according to the law he's not to marry her. He's actually to publicly expose her, bring her to the town square and stone her. But he makes a decision, I don't want to publicly disgrace her. He is working through this idea of both the law and the grace of God with regards to how he treats Mary. So the scripture says he had in mind that what he'd do is just divorce her quietly. He hadn't decided that's what he's going to do yet, but he was certainly thinking about it. And it would have been a fairly easy thing to do. All he needed to do is go to the local priest and say to the priest, you know that betrothal that we had together, I have now found that the woman I want to marry is pregnant and it must be by another man. And they would quickly break this bond. But the scripture goes on to say this. But after he had considered this, an angel Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, son of David, now not the literal son of David, but he had come from the house and the line of David and the angel wanted us to know that. Don't be afraid, he says, to take Mary home as your wife. Much easier said than done. Because as soon as he takes her home to be his wife, the shame that was brought on Mary would be brought on him as well. It's pretty obvious to us that they had been messing around before they were married, and now Joseph is claiming to be the father. They lived in an incredibly small town known as Nazareth. Everybody was going to be in to talk because everybody knew each other's business. But I want you to know, the angel says, that what is conceived in her 
is actually from the Holy Spirit. Now, for our theology, the virgin birth is incredibly important. Ultimately, if Jesus is going to die on the cross, he has to be the very Son of God in order to forgive all of the sin of mankind. But when the Jewish people were looking for a savior, looking for a conqueror, looking for a military general, they weren't expecting that he would have a virgin birth. In fact, quite the opposite. They were convinced that he would have an earthly father and this father would somehow be related to the great warrior and king by the name of David. This idea that a God would somehow mate with a beautiful young girl was Greek in mythology. It certainly wasn't Jewish in nature. In fact, it only added to the disbelief of this very story. People, if you're here today and you're not exactly sure where you stand with regards to Christianity, you're not sure about this whole virgin birth thing, I want to remind you that if somehow this story was being made up, nobody would add the virgin birth to it because nobody would believe it. In fact, the more I read this story, the more I am convinced the fact that it contains the virgin birth is only contains it for one reason and one reason only, and that's because it was true. Because what rallied people together around Jesus was not the virgin birth. What rallied people around Jesus was the fact that he had risen from the dead. So the scripture goes on to say, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. So as Joseph hears all of this coming from the angel, he's thinking to himself, of course, here's what you're telling me. I'm not going to be the father of this child. This child is going to be the Messiah, and the father is going to be none other than God himself. And of course, then Joseph says, you're going to name him Joshua. What else would he be named? We know that the long-awaited Messiah is going to be this conquering hero by the name of Joshua. We've been living far too long under the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Greeks, and now the Roman occupation. We are waiting for Joshua. This is the one that we've long talked about. And the scripture goes on to say this, because he will save his people. To which Joseph goes, of course, we know that's what Joshua will do. Do you remember when the Israelites made their way into the promised land and there were Canaanites there and Joshua was the one who pushed them out so that we could occupy this land by ourselves? We all know the stories from the Old Testament how Joshua actually surrounded the city of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Of course he is going to save his people. That's what Joshua does. But Then the scripture goes on from there. And Joseph would have said, occupiers? from the ones who are tyrants in our lives. We know this promise was made way back to Abraham that eventually there would be one who would come who would overthrow and bless every nation around us because of our strength. So here's the reality. This promise is finally coming to fruition. But Joseph, the angel said, he's actually going to save his people from their sins. To which Joseph would have said, from their sins. Can I be honest with the angel? That is not a felt need that we have. 
If I were to pull all of the Jewish people around me, they wouldn't say that our greatest need is to somehow be saved from our sins. The greatest need that we have is to be saved from the occupation, saved from those who have tyranny over us. The greatest need we have is not to be saved from our sins. Angel, don't you understand Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It starts with physiological needs. We need food and we need water. Then it moves up to the issue of safety. We need a secure place to live. Then eventually there's a sense of belonging and community and self-esteem and self-actualization. But I don't see the saving of our sins being anywhere in those felt needs. If anybody needs to be saved, it needs to be the Romans. Do you know the atrocities that they're doing to us? And if you are going to save us, then you better come with the sword because you've got to overthrow those who have dominance over us. But you know what? Joseph didn't say any of that, even though in all honesty, I'm guessing he's thinking it. And the reason he didn't say any of it, because God, through an angel, had spoken to him. And isn't it true when God speaks, you and I get incredibly quiet? People sometimes will come into my office and say, God appeared to me. I always want to say to them, though I don't, no, he didn't. Your face is not melted off, so you obviously haven't seen God. Because the truth of the matter is when God speaks, he doesn't stutter. When God speaks, people don't say, was that God or was that not God? When God speaks, everybody knows it and we obey. That's why the scripture goes on to say when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. God, you said it, that settles it, I believe it, and I'm going to live it out because I heard the very voice of God. And here's the question I have for you. When you and I hear, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from our sins, why do you and I say in effect in sort of a ho-hum way, listen, that's really not a felt need in my life. I mean, I got a lot of needs in my life, but I'm not sure that's my greatest need. Why, when you and I hear that this very Jesus who came to save us from our sins has done so, do you and I not fall in worship before him in adoration for the very thing that we needed most of all? Why don't you and I do that? Can I give you my guess? Because when we read this portion of Scripture and give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from our sins, here's what we actually hear. Give him the name Jesus because he will forgive his people. And we reduce Christmas to nothing more than simply this idea of forgiveness. That nobody in this world is perfect. Everybody messes up. And when I mess up, I seek God's forgiveness. And tomorrow I mess up again and I seek God's forgiveness all again. But that's not what the Christmas story is about. It's not the message that Joseph got from the angel. The message was not just simply that the punishment for your sin has been removed, the consequences of your sin has been removed, because in all honesty, the full consequences of our sin will never be removed until you and I spend eternity in the presence of God. But here's what he's saying, when you and I are going to be saved from our sins, we're saved from the power of sin, we're saved from the slavery of sin, we're saved from the tyranny of sin. We see this all throughout our lives, don't we? We see it in the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. Probably the place we see it the most is Jesus' interaction with a woman who was caught in adultery. 
Do you remember the religious leaders found her and now they drag her through the city streets of Jerusalem and they bring her to Jesus who was there on the temple mount. And they throw her down and she is now probably 75 feet away from the very holy of holies, the temple of God, where the presence of God resides. And now at the feet of Jesus, the religious community says to Jesus, our law says, you're to stone her. What say you? Jesus looks at the religious leader and he says to them, listen, ye who is out sin, you go ahead and start the execution. And the scripture says one by one they begin to drop their rocks and walk away. And Jesus now bends down to the woman and he says three things. First of all, he says, where are your accusers? And the woman says, it looks like they've all left. And then he makes this declaration over this woman when he says, and neither do I condemn you. I want you to know that I am God in a human body, and I want you to know that I don't condemn you. We are 75 feet away from the temple. I could go and make an animal sacrifice on your behalf, but here's the reality. I am the very Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, and I declare that you are forgiven. Can you imagine what that must have been like for this woman? And then he says the third and the final thing, and we often skip over this. And he says to her, now leave your life of sin. To which you and I ought to ask this question, is that even possible? I mean, can you actually leave your life of sin? Jesus in John chapter 10 said this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That sounds like more than forgiveness to me. I mean, forgiveness just brings you back to square one. But this is Yeshua, Joshua. He's actually come to save you. He's actually come to deliver you. He's actually come to set you free. It's one of the reasons the Apostle Paul, putting it in more theological terms in Romans chapter 6, says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In other words, since this child has come and eventually made his way to the cross and died on your behalf and rose triumphant over sin or death, listen, you don't have to be mastered by sin anymore. You have the ability to say no. Later on, two verses, the apostle Paul would say, for sin no longer is your master that you don't have to be wielded by the sin in your life. You don't have to say yes to the sin in your life. For the very first time, you and I have been set free from sin, and you and I have the ability through the power of Christ to say no. And This is how he ends this portion of Scripture, Paul does, in Romans chapter 6, with these words that we memorized when we were a child. For the wages of sin is death. The very payment... The very understanding of when I sin, it creates death in my life. People, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you know this to be true, don't you? Sin kills things. And we especially see this in an acute way around Christmas time, don't we? Some of you had a marriage that was killed because of sin. Some of you have a financial background that was killed because of your compulsion, because of your sin. 
Some of you have a relationship with a son or a daughter and you feel it acutely at Christmas that was killed because of their sin or because of your sin. Some of you walk through an addiction and you lost trust with people around you and the sin of your addiction caused death in that relationship. For the wages of sin is death. But then Paul says this, but the gift of God at Christmas time is eternal life through faith in Jesus the Christ, Yeshua, the one who has come to set us free. Do you remember the character by the name of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? She actually had these beautiful red ruby slippers. She didn't know it, but she was constantly asking to go home, and she had the ability, she had the power to do so. All she had to do was click her heels together. Eventually, somebody needed to say to her, listen, all you need to do is click your heels and you can go home. Maybe to some of you today, I just simply need to announce, here's the reality. Sin is no longer your master. You can go home. Addiction does not need to be your master. You can go home. The struggle and fear of the things of this world are no longer your master. You can actually go home. It's very possible that for some of you here today, as you struggle with anger, you struggle with lust, can I remind you today that you can go home to the very presence of God? You can be set free. Not only in the life to come, but even in the here and now when you embrace this one who was called to be the savior of our lives and to set us free. So for you who are believers in Jesus Christ here today, you know you have the power, don't you, to be set free through Jesus Christ? And if you're not a believer here today, you've never yielded and trusted your faith in Jesus Christ, can you recognize that sin has killed some things in your life? Maybe we don't call it sin. Maybe we call it shortcomings or failures or my upbringing or whatever it is. But the reality is it's all the same that you and I have this constant open invitation from heaven that you and I can come home, that you and I can yield, that you and I can surrender, that you and I can give our lives to Christ and he is gonna set us free. Today I'm trusting that many of you wanna be set free from the sin and the failure and the shortcomings of your life, that you wanna go home. We've said all throughout this series together, who needs Christmas? We started by reminding ourselves that the world needed Christmas, God needed Christmas, and now today, can I remind you that you need Christmas as much as I need Christmas? The angel said, you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life answer hard questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.